0: In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus. Et benedictus fructus ventris tu iesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nobis in hora mortis nostrae. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, la de to Jesus Christus in secula. This is Timothy Flanders of the Meeting of Catholic. We're here today on Ember Wednesday. Happy Embertide of Advent. Christmas is coming very soon. Tomorrow is the Great O Antiphons, December 17. This is a very exciting time, and we've just entered a very exciting period in this study of the Holy Scriptures that we've been doing in the Book of Acts. And we've talked all about oral culture, the forming of a people, the place of the Holy Scriptures, all of the different elements of culture— And today we're going to see the formation of the League of Christendom when things start to really crystallize in the people of God. We've talked about this cultural model that we've been using, which is the four elements of culture, cultists, tradition, elders, and piety, which in the people of God is revealed through Logos Incarnate both through faith and through reason, just the the natural, naturally known Logos and the revealed Logos incarnate, which then baptizes the king and the queen in the kitchen. And what we're seeing in the book of Acts, as St. Luke says to us in the first verse of the first chapter, this is the continuation of Jesus and his work. And this is going to continue as we go along through the book of Acts. And this is going to really culminate with revelation 22 and the destruction of the temple and the establishment of the christian church really within the generation as our lord said these things will not uh, this generation will not pass away until all these things come about meaning the destruction of the temple so what we have really so far is that we have the development of the of the cultists we have the tradition the oral tradition We have the elders, and we don't really have truly the piety yet because there's not really the next generation has really come about in the church yet, Um, but we're going to continue on, and and where are the apostles at right now as we get into Acts chapter 10? What we're going to do today is we're going to go through a lot of the background going into Acts chapter 10, and we're only going to get to the first verse of chapter 10, and then the next time, which is going to be on Friday, we're going to get to... Uh, the rest of these two chapters, which are fundamental and crucial for what comes in chapter 15, which is the restoring of the tabernacle of David. I want to talk about that, what that is. Before we continue, though, I want to ask you to please share this video, like, subscribe. That helps. The Apostolate helps our work. If you become a patron, you also get free books. You get uh, patron-only shows. Please pray for us. Pray for this Apostolate. That helps us by your prayers, what we do, what we do. So really appreciate your support. Without any further housekeeping, let's get into the text. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now we've already seen some of this. It says, verse 42, and they were preserving in the doctrine of the apostles and in the communication of the breaking of the bread and in prayers. So, and this is where it talks about they had all things in common, so they're already converting the coin, the economy. And there's also families, as we'll see in chapter 11 we'll see a whole family of kinsmen being baptized and the term here in the doctrine of the apostle that the term is didache and if you've ever heard there's a early document called the didache which is the teaching of the apostles now the emphasis here notice in the book of acts everything is oral except for the old testament of course but everything is oral we're preaching the logos everything is oral at this time that is the formation of the people, which is first oral culture tied with cultists. And the communication, the breaking of the bread, the, the term is kinonia, the kinonia, which is the same term used by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians when he says the bread that we break, is it not the kinonia of the body of Christ? It's speaking of holy communion, the holy sacrifice of the mass, the kinonia, the communication, of the breaking of the bread. That's the term that's used for the Holy Mass, the cultists in the book of Acts. So we have these things. So we have these elements of culture that, that God, that God, the word logos incarnate has created, has recreated in fulfillment of the type of the mosaic law and the mosaic culture, which we've talked about. But what we see in the book of Acts is we have a gradual, a gradual formation of the people God does not like revolution. He does not do things abruptly because it destroys families. He loves the family. And so he does these things. He converts people gradually and convert and he creates the people gradually. And so that's why Acts says, I wrote of all things that Jesus began to do and to teach. So, but here's a key point, a very key point of the whole formation of the people comes in uh, verse 46, And continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they took their meat with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now notice, they're still involved with the temple. And as we're going to see through the book of Acts, the temple never really goes away, and the apostles are still participating in the temple cult. The temple cultus set up by Moses, Moses, celebrated by the Aaronic priesthood, has already been it's still in existence, it's still being celebrated, and the apostles are still participating in that cultus. And yet they have added the cultus of the breaking of the bread. So we already have this sort of tension, what is going to happen with the Mosaic cultus, which is still in existence, the apostles are still doing it, but they're, they added the cultus of the breaking of the bread. Now the key here is the temple. The cultus needs a location to... Be celebrated. It needs a location, a sacred place. This goes into the the concept of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was given by God to Moses in Exodus. In the second half of that book is all of a, a, a very detailed sketch of the making of the tabernacle. And this is where the very, very important concept of, of beauty comes in because beauty, the beauty in the cultus is a manifestation of logos. And that's why St. Paul says to the Hebrews, he's point, he pointed out that Moses would instruct it to make the tabernacle exactly according to the pattern that you were shown on the mountain. So the tabernacle is the center of the cultus. It is an actual location where the cultus is celebrated and the, the, the law says, Moses spoke to God face to face. There was the tabernacle, the tent of meeting where God's presence was. And this is why this was the, this is why the tabernacle, the, the Ark of the Covenant is a type of Our Lady because she carries the word. And so that this tabernacle, this concept of the tabernacle is the center, the, the place of the cultists. And it's also the place of, from which the rulership comes because the king receives his authority from the cultus from logos mediated through the cultus and giving him his legitimacy and this is how every single nation has worked and so what we're going to see here is how does our lord take possession of the nations because the prophecy that we're going to that St James is going to read at the council of Jerusalem is from Amos chapter 9, verse 11, which says this, I will resurrect the tabernacle of David that has fallen, that they may possess all nations. Now, the term here, resurrect, is anastiso, which means that is the word for resurrection that is used in the icons of our Lord in the Byzantine tradition. Anastasis, it is the resurrection. So there's a resurrection that is being prophesied by Amos chapter 9, of the skinning, the tabernacle, the tent of David. The tent of David is understood to be connected with the tabernacle because David, when he was taking possession of Israel, he took possession of Israel and moved the tabernacle, the the tabernacle, the place of God's dwelling, to Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem became the center of his power, his capital, his imperial capital, but more importantly, the center of the cultists. And that's why all of Israel, all the, the Judahites, the Benjaminites, and the Levites all came to Jerusalem to worship. And this is why the 10 northern tribes were belled against him and made different sacred places. So there's this very, very important part about this, which is a sacred place for the cultists, the, the tabernacle. So there's this prophecy. Now, what did... What was meant by the tabernacle of David as it was in the time of Amos, which is after David? What was Amos talking about when he talks about the tabernacle of David? What was it? What was the extent of his rule? Well, 2 Kings chapter 8 says this. Now, 2 Kings, by the way, is also the same as 2 Samuel. It's the same book. So 2 Kings says this, chapter 8. David defeated the Philistines and brought them down. And David took the bridle of tribute out of the hand of the Philistines. He defeated Moab. And moving on, uh, verse 6. David put garrisons in Syria and Damascus. Syria say, served David under, under tribute. The Lord preserved David in all his enter- enterprises. Now, notice this. Notice what he takes. David tooks, took the arms of gold out of Pete and out of Baroth, the city of Edizar. King David took an exceeding great quantity of brass. And Tau, the king of Emoth, heard that David had defeated all the forces of Edizar. And Tau sent Joram, his son, to King David to salute him and congratulate him. And and then the text goes on. It says that he had uh, vessels of gold, vessels of silver, vessels of brass. King David dedicated them to the Lord together with the silver and the gold. And in verse 13, David also made himself a name. He returned after taking Syria in the valley of the salt pits, killing 18,000. And he put a, a guards in Edom and placed there a garrison, and all of Edom was made to serve David, and the Lord preserved David and all his enterprises he bought. So what we have here is the tabernacle of David is, first of all, it's ruling over Gentiles. It's ruling over other nations, ruling over them, and he's taking tribute, and what is he doing with the tribute? Well, he's taking them and dedicating them to the Lord. So he's taking this silver and this gold and using it in the temple worship, or losing it, he's gathering actually, he's gathering materials to make the temple, so he is taking from the Gentiles, he's ruling over the Gentiles, taking from them and dedicating it to the temple. This is all a type of what is going to happen. Now notice what happens in 3 Kings, chapter 4, verse 20. 21, I'm sorry. Now Solomon, the son of David, who builds the temple in which God dwells, God comes and dwells in the temple, Verse 21, Solomon had under him all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines, even to the border of Egypt, and they brought him presents and served him all the days of his life. Verse 30, and the wisdom of Solomon surpassed the wisdom of all the Orientals and the Egyptians. 34, and they came from all nations to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. This is where the the theory goes that the Athenians and the Greeks really got their wisdom from Solomon, because it says here in the scriptures that all nations came to Solomon. So what we have here is David sets up this kingdom. Solomon expands it. He's ruling over Gentiles. They're coming and being taught by him. And they are dedicating their wealth to the beauty of the cultists at the temple. So we have this military kingdom. So this is what Amos is talking about when he says, I'm going to resurrect the tabernacle of David. It's going to be a tabernacle which is taking the wealth of the nations, dedicating it to the cult of the true God, and it is ruling over the nations. Now, how, are this, how is this going to come about? Now, many of the Judahites and the other tribes that were left over from Israel, the three tribes, they believed that this would be a military kingdom. Now, it is true that it was going to be a military kingdom, but it was going to be a military kingdom Greater than their wildest dreams, because they were under Rome at the time, and Rome's cultus was to worship its own emperor, worship demons. And the answer to how this kingdom would come about, and how the nation, the nations would be ruled, comes from the prophecy read today in Holy Mass, Isaiah chapter two, which says this, and this is Isaiah preaching after David again, looking forward to something. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be prepared on the top of mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Now pay attention to what is said about mountains. The law of Moses came from a mountain. It came from Mount Sinai. Notice what what is said here. Many people shall go and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God and of Jacob, house of God, tabernacle. And he will teach us his ways and we walk in his paths. Just as Solomon was teaching the nations, ruling the nations. Now it says this, For the law shall come forth from Zion and the logos of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge the Gentiles and rebuke many people and they shall turn their swords into plowshares and their spears into sickles nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they exercise any more war let us walk in the light of the lord so we have the logos and the law we have a new law not the law of sinai which is a different mountain it's coming from the mountain of jerusalem which is where our lord was crucified he was crucified in jerusalem jerusalem is a mountain you go up to jerusalem and then we have the law, a new law, and a logos coming forth from Jerusalem. This is how God will conquer the nations because, as we read previously, the Son of God was made manifest to conquer Rome, but how? To destroy the work of the devil. Because the means by which Rome ruled was by means of the devil. And this is how power was ruling the nations. It was what St. Paul calls the empire of death. They were using the empire of death, the power of death, the power of the devil to rule over nations. And so in order to rule over the nations, Christ, the King destroys death. He destroys their power so that he can then rule over the nations. He is going to rule in a greater way than merely an earthly, merely an earthly reign it's going to be even bigger than that. It's going to cover the earthly rain, but it's also going to cover the spiritual rain. So what we have in Isaiah, we have that the, the tabernacle of David will be re- resurrected in Amos. And then Isaiah said that there will be a law coming forth from Jerusalem. It will not be the law of Sinai. It will be the law of Jerusalem. And this will be the logos of the Lord, the word of the Lord, which is being preached in Acts. So now we finally come to Acts chapter 10. So we've talked about this tabernacle of David, which is being res- resurrected. What is meant by that? We've already saw, seen how in, in the Old Testament scriptures, the tabernacle of David was already ruling over the Gentiles. It was all the, all the nations were coming for wisdom. But right now the kingdom is not in the possession of Israel because Israel is being ruled over by Rome. So what we see here is Acts chapter 10, verse one, there's so much packed into just this first verse. And so we're going to spend a little time talking about the context of this first verse that sets the whole stage. And this is really when Christ really begins to truly conquer the nations Not just Israel, not just the lost tribes of Israel, the Samaritans, that we've already seen in Acts. We've already seen the Samaritans convert. We've seen an Ethiopian convert. Ethiopians were kind of proselytes as they came to Solomon in that text I just read from Three Kings. But this is when it really becomes full-blooded Gentiles being converted and the kingdom of God truly extending over the nations to resurrect the tabernacle of David. So, Chapter 10, verse 1 says this. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of that which is called the Italian band. So there's three big things here. First, he's in Caesarea. Two, he is a centurion. And three, he's of the Italian band. So first of all, he's in Caesarea. Now, where do we know Caesarea from? Well, the... Puppet kings of Rome, Herod the First, or Herod, so called the Great, he's the one who massacred the the Holy Innocents. He built Caesarea, and this is called Caesarea. There's two different Caesareas: Caesarea Maritima and Caesarea Philippi, and they're both built by Herods. One is Herod Herod the First, and the other one is Philip the Second, his son, and they're Caesarea. They're both built. To try to supplicate Rome, supplicate Caesar, trying to placate him, trying to play his game with his rules, which are worshiping demons, so that they can get power. And this is the way that the whole conspiracy of Antichrist has attempted to gain power. They've tried to either they've either tried to go make an alliance, make an unholy alliance with Rome, and capitulate to Rome in order to gain power, or they have tried to use the empire of death to gain power, which is both the same method. So what does Caesarea mean? Well, first of all, we have Caesarea Philippi, which was a city in the north, which is where our Lord brought Peter. And in Caesarea Philippi, the god Pan was worshipped. And there was all these shrines to all these different demon gods And upon a large rock in Caesarea Philippi was a temple to Caesar Augustus. So we have a huge rock and on top of it is worshipped the false king, Caesar Augustus, which is really worshipping the true false king, which is the devil. So then our Lord brings the apostles and says, who do you say that I am? He gets a confession of the logos from St. Peter and he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. So... He is building his, this is, so this is the tabernacle. This is the resurrection of the tabernacle here, which is not going to be built on the temple rock of Jerusalem. It's going to be built on the true Jerusalem. And we'll see in revelation that there will be a true Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. And so Caesarea Philippi has a huge rock with a false cultus on it. And our Lord says on this rock, which is the rock of his confession and, and the person of Peter, he's going to build his church against Rome but it's going to conquer Rome. So we have this ep- epic battle in Caesarea Philippi right there. Now we have Caesar Caesarea Maritima, which is the coastal city built by Herod the 1st again trying to placate Rome. So now so we have the rock who's already been established as the rock St. Peter. St. Peter's going to go to Caesarea in this in this whole passage. So we have the rock upon which the church is going, is being built, going not—so he's already gone to Caesarea Philippi. Now he's going to go to Caesarea Maritima. So he's going to all of the the centers of Caesar, and he's conquering them. And we're going to see how they conquer him in exactly the way that Isaiah said, the Logos will go from for Jerusalem, the law will be of Jerusalem, not the law of Sinai, but the law of Jerusalem. So this is what we're going to see, is that he's going to be conquering these places, and then he goes to a centurion. Now, a centurion was a Roman military commander. He has the power of violence. He has this power of death. And St. Peter's going to conquer him in the name of Jesus. He, in the name of the true king, he's going to conquer this, this, this army because he, he represents an army. He represents a small army. He's got a band of soldiers, a hundred or more because he's a part of a cohort, which is the Italian band. So he's, he's confronting the, whole, the Roman army from Rome right now. So St. Peter is con- going to confront the centurion who is in the center of the, the city dedicated to Caesar, who is the, at the head of the band of soldiers, is going to confront him and conquer him for Jesus Christ. And this is going to be the resurrection of the tabernacle of David which is which ruled over nations and will rule over nations again not only ruling over Israel but ruling over non- Jew uh, non-Jews and gentiles now we've already had a prefigurement of this very thing in St Matthew chapter 8 verse 8 this is when a centurion comes to our lord and says he says heal my servant and Verse 7 Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion, making answer, said, Lord, I am not worthy thus to enter under my roof, but only say the word of my servant shall be healed. Now, what does our Lord say here? Verse 10 Jesus, hearing this, marveled and said to them that followed him, Amen, I say to you, I have not found so great faith in Israel. Now, here's the prophecy of what's taking place in Acts and what will take place. Now, our Lord prophesies what's about to take place. Verse 11. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into the exterior darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he heals the centurion's servant. Now that's, that's quoting the prophecy of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 11. So he's saying that the nations are going to come. And he prophesies here using the centurion, who's again, the sergeant of the, of a small band of soldiers. And he's, he is conquering him already with the power, with his power, the power of logos, the power of the Holy Ghost that he has. He's already conquering him because he is submitting his authority. This Roman centurion is submitting his authority to the true King. I am not worthy that you should enter my, under my roof. Which, which, as we know, is ultimately finding its fulfillment in the Roman rite of the cultus, which says these very words, which is where the true king is worshipped, in the Roman rite. So, we have this epic confrontation where all these prophecies are coming together. The resurrection of the tabernacle of David... Ruling over nations, which will rule over with a new law, the law of, of Jerusalem, the logos of the Lord, which is being preached, the oral cultus. Now, so what we re- what they really need is they need a place of the worship, because, as we said, the place is the lo- the locus of the cultus is ruling over the nations, the locus of the political authority. So. Jesus Christ is establishing, he is resurrecting the tabernacle like of David, and he is establishing the very place, the sacred place that is going to rule over the nations. There, there still is the temple, which is the sacred place. Even the apostles are still worshiping in the temple, as the text says. So we have Caesarea, we have Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian band. He's a Roman soldier from Rome. And St. Peter is going to confront him with Logos, and he's going to conquer him by the Holy Ghost. And this is going to start the, true, the fullness of the resurrection of the, ta- the Tabernacle of David, which is going to be forming the League of Christendom, and the League of Christendom will be formalized in chapter 15, where St. James will quote this prophecy of Amos, which is the resurrection of the Tabernacle of David. And this will all be completed, finally, in Revelation 22, which is going to take place in real time, as we'll discuss in the history, and it is also prophecy of the final days. And so we're going to be continuing on, we're going to wrap up here in two seconds, but this is the epic confrontation where St. Peter takes his institution as the rock, and he brings his institution to the next center of Caesar and he's going to conquer the first fruits of Rome which is a, just a continuation of this whole prophecy to conquer Rome now lastly i want to just read the prophecy of daniel which is so important the prophecy of the uh statue let me just look up what chapter that is um the statue in the book of Daniel, which prophesies the fall of Rome. Daniel two. Okay, let me f- pull this up. So Daniel prophesies the fall of Rome. This is where this thing all comes to a head. So there's this prophecy of the four beasts, and then prophecy of the of the the uh, statue, and the statue is made up of four kingdoms. There are four beasts and the four parts of the statue and the the there's the 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 bottom of this statue represents this whole period from the destruction of the second the first temple to the destruction of the second temple and chapter 2 verse 44 the let me let me let me find this i was looking for the there's the pass passage where Okay, so verse 44 says that this in Daniel, But in the days of those kingdoms, these four kingdoms that will arise, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, and his kingdom shall not be delivered up to another people, and it shall break in pieces and shall consume all these kingdoms, and itself shall stand forever. And going back to the means by which this will happen, verse 34 a stone was cut out of a mountain without hands, and it struck the statue upon the feet there, thereof that were of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. So again, we have the mountain. And out of this mountain, which is not the the mountain, uh, cut out of a mountain without hands. So there's an establishment of something that is heavenly, which destroys this earthly kingdom and sets up a new kingdom. So this kingdom is going to both rule over the earthly kingdoms, but also transcend them. And that is the key, is that this kingdom will transcend them, but also rule over them. So it's not going to be merely earthly, and it's also not going to be merely spiritual in the sense that it will not also baptize the king in the corner of the kitchen of society. It is going to come from the mountain, and this mountain is going to be the Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem. And there'll be a new temple, not made with human hands, because St. Paul will say in Hebrews that he entered into the tabernacle of heaven. This is the tabernacle which will rule. This will be the resurrected tabernacle of David, which we'll see as we form the League of Christendom, which is the league formed against the conspiracy of Antichrist. So that is all we have today. We're going to be continuing. So we'll see how does how St. Does Peter conquer the centurion and his kinsmen? He conquers them by Logos and the Holy Ghost. And we'll talk about how that is going to transcend this earthly kingdom of Rome. So we're, on Friday, we'll, we'll finish this section of Acts, chapter 10 and 11, which will then form, be forming the kingdom of heaven. It'll also be the witness to the papacy and the papacy's authority within the, the, the people of God. And finally, we will manifest also the conspicuous antichrist, which will then be forming when we first are introduced to the first heretics. We really have the first heretics after Judas. Judas is sort of the archetype of, the, of heretics. But in the next part, next in Friday, we will introduce we will introduce the first heretics. So that that'll, that's on tap for Friday. Uh, once again, please like and subscribe. Please pray for us. And uh, if you have any means, please become a patron, help us out with the whole effort we have. So let's offer up a prayer for the conversion of the nations, the conversion of the heathen, the Gentiles. In Euro-America, conversions have been way down, to say the least. Uh, The only place that, to my knowledge, is in Africa, where they've experienced a 6,000% increase in conversions in the past 100 years. Euro America has lost the faith. In meanwhile, so we need to pray, especially for the conversion of the heathen, conversion of the neo pagans, in in our midst in Euro America, and we need to trust, as we'll see in the next show, in the power of the Holy Spirit, which will convict hearts and convert souls by the logos which we preach. So let's pray. In nomine Patris et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster qui es incedis, sancti Viceto in tuum. Adveni et regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quedi dianum danui solie, et benta nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris. Et en in duca, sentitacionam, si libera malo. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen.